Okay, we are live special episode. This is investor series. Uh, I did one, uh, I'm gonna call this episode one, but we did one, I wanna say about a year ago uh, with Wayne Wu, shout out Wayne. Uh, hope all's well, Marin County, California, let's go. What's anyway, up, Wayne? <laughs> Adam Spriggs is with the Angel Group. We're going to get into some questions. Uh, Adam, welcome to the show. Thanks, man. No place I'd rather be than here with you on a Tuesday afternoon, 1.30 Eastern time. Let's do it. Well, that makes me feel fantastic. Uh, so let's just do that. Um, okay. Let's start with, you're going to have to give us a little bit of info about your group, exactly what you guys do. Yeah. So the Angel Group is a syndicate of... Uh, industry professionals who would probably call themselves CPG pros first and angel investors second. Uh, but we have uh, 65 plus members. We invest in early seed stage brands, sometimes pre-seed, uh, typically, you know, uh, with folks, brands who are raising anywhere from 250,000 to a million, million and a half. Uh, most are in market. We've done a couple of pre-revenue deals, but most are in market to, to some degree, to, to some capacity. Uh, okay. So if framing that up for anybody who's, who's watching, that's a great thing, right? So, so, cause there's a lot of that are early in the game um, and they're constantly, which we'll get into uh, wondering about where am I going to get financing? How do I have access to capital? What does this look like? What are they looking like? We'll get, you know, what are they looking for? We'll, we'll get into that, but maybe break down exactly what early stage would be as far as revenue, maybe how long have they been at it? Um, things like that of, of at least the deals that you are looking at. Yeah. So revenue is less meaningful to us than valuation. So what we like to do is say, okay, so they've leaped all the hurdles of they've worked with a co-packer, they've found their co-packer, they've got their packaging supplier, they've got their formulations done. They could basically pull a lever with this check. They could pull a lever tomorrow and products start shipping out to stores. We're, we're, we're in for that. Okay. Uh, that's about as early as we would get. Um, if you still have to leap those hurdles, we're probably not ready for you. Um, and then in terms of how far along you are, it mostly has to do with the type of valuations we like to get involved with. You know, it's less about, you know, whether you're a $10 million brand or you're doing, you know, 500,000 a year. Uh, with that, then, if we talk valuation, at least in the stages that you're looking at, is there some sort of multiple that you guys have? Is there rule of thumb type stuff, which oftentimes we like to hear? I'll throw in numbers just for context for people. Oftentimes early, we hear three times revenue, and then it's like, well, three times revenue when? Is it the last three months? Is it like, Give us a, sort of a framework of what you guys like to, to see, or at least suggest when you're looking at it. Yeah, it's 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 I'm I'm over trying to figure out the the art and the science behind it or the formula behind it. It's all relative to, you know, how much of the risk have you removed from this venture by this time we're getting into it? Oftentimes very little by the time we've gotten into it. So we just like to see that it's, you know, there's a fair level of return upside for us, you know, considering the the, the risk of early money into the brand. And all of that's relative to, you know, the potential upside of the of the business, the category that you're in. That's fair. Uh, and I appreciate that. But uh, single digits is where we like, we like to be single digits, you know, ideally that four or five, $6 million valuation range. That makes sense. Uh, and I appreciate you saying it's um, uh, when you noted about trying to remove the risk and, and to be fair, there, there's been no risk removed. 
Um, right. You didn't say it that way, but I'm going to say it that way. Um, uh, with that, with that, I assume you're really looking at the founder uh, and or the team uh, at that yeah. point. Um, oftentimes, it's probably small, uh, specific to what you guys are looking at. Is there something that you like to see as far as the operator, he or she, uh, as far as maybe experience? Or is it just the communication, the flow? What, how are they answering? What are they answering? Why are they answering it a certain way? And then from that, you, you have context. Okay, does this person, I always like to say, have the chops, right? To be yeah. able to, to do this, you know, for not right now, not that next hurdle you talked about, but will they carry this thing the next five, 10, you know, 15 years if they had to, do they have the ability to do that? Yeah. Of all the variables that there are to look at in a business uh, at, at these early stages, you know, being able to sit down and spend quality time with the founder is one of the most kind of tangible things you can sink your teeth into. So it's certainly an important criteria, but most of the times it's more about I'm looking for are they surrounding themselves with industry people who can shorten their learning curves, regardless of industry experience. So I like to see people who are well networked. So one of the first things I see is when I get a deck from a founder, I'm pretty well connected on LinkedIn. I like to at least think that we've got 20, 30 shared connections. If not, you know, then I'm looking at the advisory board that they put together in their deck. I'm looking for people that I'm familiar with. I like to see people who are networkers and who like to learn from others. Uh, but we don't spend a lot of time with these founders. You know, we're making investment decisions. Typically, angels like us, we're making them within two or three weeks. And there are always more unknowns than there are known. So, but, but we do like to get a good feel for founders. Mostly, we're starting with product. This is our determining factor. I like that. Okay, now let's talk product then. Um, mm -hmm. Have you, uh, you're, you would have to be fair to this, but because uh, I know the answer, so I'm setting you up for this one. Uh, do you invest in anything that you wouldn't eat and or drink yes you do yeah. fair it's a great comment uh why or why or how do you wrap yourself even though there's a few of you i'm assuming on the team right it's not just yeah. you're, you're not the only decision maker but how do you get through that emotionally basically separating yourself right from the yeah. check and your emotional feeling about it um you know when you're thinking about it day to day it's the same thing as, you know, my whole background's in branding and packaging. And if you're in branding and packaging, especially in CPG, you are a translator between the founder and the market, you know? And so you're translating the founder vision to what you think the world is going to respond to. And I, I look at investing as the same way. I'm looking at it as, you know, regardless of my personal tastes and biases about what I'd like to impart upon this brand story or about on this, this package design, I'm really thinking about how I'm programming this for the market to receive it. And, um, and I look at the same way. So even if I wince when I take a sip of a product or it's an acquired taste, I'm trying to appreciate what the broader market, how the broader market's going to receive this. That's fair. And again, because you're in the business of investing, yeah. You're, you're not in the business of needing to love, right? Because that, that, those are two separate things. And anybody who's, I don't know how your, your fund is made up, right? But they, that they, if somebody's putting money into your fund or however that's going to work, right? You have LPs and the like, but they need to make sure that you're on that tip, not on your emotional, personal 
for, even, not in your personal, personal or your sort of journey, right? I mean, even though that can work too, meaning you're just weeding out a lot more. Like yeah. it needs to be in your cabinet. It needs to be in your refrigerator. If you had kids, you're like, I, I would feed this to my kids. Um, it, that's not really, for, if you were speaking broadly for your, for your business and those that are in it, that's not how it works. Yeah, I'm, and I can't speak for all of our members. We got 65 members. They all write their own individual checks. So it's a syndicate. It's not a pooled fund. You know, we'll get there eventually. But I think it's more about right now is like how I can help, how I filter deals from the top with my screening committee. A lot of it is passing through kind of my my personal point of view and my personal interests in terms of what deals make it to our members. So naturally, there's some um, you know, there's some inherent preference and bias that goes into that, but I try to remove most of it. Okay. I have one. Yeah. Yeah. Go, yeah, go ahead. Well, the, the one key criteria that's the funnel for everything, it's, I would say it's not the end criteria, but it's the preliminary criteria is really about a product's crossover potential. So if, you know, maybe most helpful to the audience and in, in, that you have and are listening as to whether or not they should engage the angel group, you know, I look at it this way. If the revenue threshold for attracting strategic generally starts at $100 million. My first inclination is to ask, who are the $100 million brands? What's the common DNA behind them? So if you look at a Chobani, a Mayomi, a Kali Power, a Skinny Pop, a Tate, a Siete, you know, what's the one underlying truth behind them? They all not only sell in high volume mass market gross retailers like Walmart, 7-Eleven, Costco, Hudson News, in many cases, they outsell their category incumbents. So I'm looking for what is the common DNA amongst those types of brands? And do I see that in these products that I'm looking at? Uh, if you, that last 30 seconds is really powerful. Again, mm -hmm. this is for people want to know. They're like, I don't know. I'm early. I, where do I get money? Or how are they looking at it? How are they going to view me or the brand or the product? You just watch this. He's saying facts. He's, this is somebody who's in it. Um, and uh, to be fair, again, like you can't speak broad, you can't speak for everybody in the investing world. Right. But no. I, but, but or I know what, go, what said again, or in my group. Yes. Or in your group, but but I but I can say um, I've heard it all, and I've I've sort of been around enough of it, um, and that's that is a, the sentiment you have is a really good one. Um, I also liked the number you said because people don't often hear it enough. It is that hundred million number, like like people don't realize they're like. I, this is, I'm going to build it. And I'm going to, when I start hearing that, I'm like, you have no idea, you know, like, is that what you're doing? Is that why you're doing it? I'm going to, uh, and then we're going to sell this thing. And I'm like, well, you're in it for the right. First off, that's a bad thought process, right? Like it's, it, I get it. You can be excited and where you're going to go and why and all that. But like um, to get to a hundred million dollars in revenue is near impossible here. Yeah. I'll, I'll say that again. I'm going to just hold myself to it right now. It's literally like near impossible. And then they're going to be like, what are you talking about? What if you took the number, the percentage of brands here, I'll just get here. How many brands were at Expo West, right? Like yeah, if you yeah. took the percentage, it's small. It's not like lottery tickets small, like, but it's pretty, it's pretty darn close um, yeah. because you, you need, I'm going to let you just go on to expand on this because you need everything to hit. 
Well, yourself, your team, finance, uh, access to capital, amazing product, uh, uh, growth in the category, um, nobody coming and chop you by the legs, like like every luck, God's will. I'll just keep going. Like, um, the, the, uh, you get it? So please expand on that. Well, I would say that all those things are true. But to me, everything is predicated about products crossover potential. That's my drum that I bang. Okay, so it's more about if $100 million almost always inherently means that you need to acquire mainstream middle American shoppers. Okay, so save yourself the trouble right now. Take your product formulation, drop it into your your current product, drop it into a healthcare headquarters in Cleveland, Ohio, a CPA's office in San Antonio. And let's see how approachable your product is, how, how simple the core proposition is, how essential it is to the rhythms you know, and routines of these people's lives. And that can tell us a lot about whether or not you're going to acquire the customers you need to scale toward that $100 million you know, uh, 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 target. So the problem is, is that when you're at Expo or when you're at Erewhon or Foxtrot or Rainbow Grocer or Byright or whatever, and you're slaying it there, and all everything in your pitch presentation or your deck and everything about your new celebrity influencer or investor, if they're all looking at that, that is not my indicator for success. It is very little to do with, there's a very big difference between those people who are trying to be 100% better in their daily life, okay, versus the mass market who's trying to be 1% better in their daily life. They want slight guilt reduction. The people you're selling to now want health superiority, you know? So very different purchase motives. And most brands that get to that $100 million level have to be able to appeal to that 90% without compromising appeal to the 10% that they need for early traction. Uh, that was probably one of the most well-articulated comments I've heard on here. I know we're focused right now on um, sort of investment, capital raising, and the, and the like, we're, we're, we're going, though, into more of this broad general theme It's uh, of just having success with your brand. It's a, and success in the way that we're, you're talking about, it, as in where do you want to be in 10 years? What does the business look like, and how can you get there? Not, hey, I'm, 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 I'm going from five to eight to, like, 14, and then, like, it's like you're caught, boom, boom, right? A lot of that, there... I should go 20 different ways right now because my brain is going nuts right now because I was not prepared for you to answer questions so well. I'm just being frank because I am on here because um, I, I don't know you and I, this is the first time we've, we've met, formally met, um, and I really respect the way you are articulating yourself right now. So I just want to uh, tell you that. Um, Thanks. Um, it's, about, it's about ceiling. It's about knowing your ceiling early on. And a lot of times it has to do with product uh, formulations right from the gate, appearance, you know, the approachability of the product. Are there complex terminologies? Are there unnecessary health benefits? Do I need mood management as an attribute in my ice cream? No, because when I buy ice cream, my mood lifts, right? It's, 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 um, so, so much of this you can test early on. And I think investors, this is really about as much about, you know, how we as investors should be looking at this more so than not, not just CPG founders. I would like you to name three brands that you like. You do not, I actually would almost hope, you were early anyway, so it's, you're probably in a smaller pool as far as what you maybe have wrote a check for. Hopefully these are, you've not wrote a check for. 
Just three brands. They could be big. I don't care. Just three brands you really like. Okay. So I have some friends over at Good Crisp, and I've always loved how right down the middle of the plate that is. You can drop it into any grocery store in America, and, and people know what it is. They know what the proposition is. And so I love that, right? Um, let, me I love stop you. let me stop you there before you get to the second one. Matt Perry. Do, yeah. don't don't you you know i got love dude okay you see how i, I didn't even know and i let he's i got you that hairnet me you hairnet photo <laughs> contest let's go anyway second one here we go so another one i would drop on you is often referred to in muddy bites but you know i like um you know what i like about that is you taking a very familiar like you know passion product like the like the uh the cones uh the drumsticks and being that that last bite, there's there's almost this kind of shared kind of like cult knowledge around what that is immediately, really novel innovation that was you know immediately familiar as soon as it hit shelves. I think they have to get some price parity before they really, you know, see where that business can go. That one I, I missed the boat on, um, and uh, but that one I will probably never forget. So that's another one. Third, give me. I want one more because these are good. Rise. I would go with Rise. Okay. Uh, Rise is another one where you get, you know, this kind of, you know, obviously very familiar, approachable product uh, concept uh, with this kind of sensory experience of cracking that tab. I love unique, memorable consumer experiences. Most products are forgettable. Uh, so Rise would be another one right at the top. Let's talk about access to capital. Yeah. Be, be very fair about this. I, it's, it's such a good, um, it's such a good topic if people are fair to it in discussion they're not worried about how they're positioned in it right they i, I don't want to say because it's going to sound like they're just honest they have honest conversations about it right would you agree i'm going to make a blank statement and then you can expand on it. would you agree that I'm going to say life is unfair. That's a check mark, right? I, I'm always talking about this, about the cards you were dealt and all that. That's just the cards you were dealt. Your, your dad was a, your dad, I say it, your dad was a banker, you know, like you were well off and you went to Yale. Like, like it was the cards you were dealt. It's okay. Like if anything, lean into that freaking go crush. I'm going to sound so stupid when I say this, go crush it. You know, so, so stupid. But, but like, I don't care. Then there's the other side, like, like the kid that was born in, in, in a rough neighborhood and just di um, uh, didn't have access to good schooling, didn't have access to, 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 to monetary things, right? Like things that, that, that where what happens is your, your network, right? The people you know. Um, you have to kind of, you have to, you have to be, make personal decisions and grow outside of that to start navigating yourself to these other areas, right? That, that I'm building that as a platform right now so that we have something to talk on. Isn't it true that there are probably a lot of well-off people or those that have access to capital who get a, who get an at-bat, who get to be at-bat, right? Yeah. And they don't have the chops. They don't have the chops. They don't have a, pr a product to some of the stuff that even like, even in the realm, like yours is getting specific, but even a good product, just some taste good. And, and they get to have the at-bat. Then there are a ton of, of people, men and women who don't have access. 
yet they have it. Like they have it. I know you've come across these people who have it. You're like that person. I don't care what they do in life. They have it. And I, I think they're going to be successful. Maybe they even have a product. Like they formulated something. It's really good. They never get a chance to get to bat. Yeah. What do you think I, about all that? Well, I think it's true. I think it's, and I have a, you know, considering my background, I, I have a personal interest in finding out these, these founders who typically don't get a, a bat at the plate. Um, all the other things still have to, all the other rules and criteria still apply, but I certainly favor them because, you know, I like people who can face obstacles and leap over them. I identify with that personally. I see a lot of people on an Expo West trade show floor who could really give a damn about whether this business succeeds. They're professional fundraisers or they came from, you know, uh, rich families and they're supposed to do something with their life. So here I am, you know, hawking this ice carrying brand. Um, I need to see some level of desperation for this founder to succeed. Like, I don't mean like their mortgage is at risk necessarily, but like, I need to see that, like, no, I, I have to make this work. And when you think about like, if you're in a position to launch or invest in a CPG brand, you are living and consuming within a reality that is materially different than the brands that you are, than the consumers that you are most likely going to need to scale with. So I like people who, I like founders who come from kind of lesser known places, um, lesser known markets outside of CPG ecosystems and hubs because most CPG founders are out of touch with how the rest of the world eats and sleeps and drinks. Um, and so I like to see founders that come from a different background and kind of from that kind of mass market identity. So good, Adam. Adam, I, I want to keep these in a controlled space of like 15 to 20 minutes. Sure. I, could, I could wrap with you for an hour. I know I can. And I'm going to do an episode two with you. Um, I want to end it though with something just to, to close it out. But I, I need to say that now so that I hold myself accountable. Um, I, it's people know that I'm very sort of transparent when I in these dealings. Again, like I kind of like being able to say this. I don't know, Adam. I just met the guy. And um, I'll leave this thinking, I like that guy. No, I don't know him still, but like, I, I still have to get face to face with you. That's how I always like interact. You're like, right, I got to be right in your freaking grill. And then I could tell, okay, am I gonna, can, I, can I roll with this guy or gal or whatever it may be? Um, anyway, that's just a personal thing. Um, I'm with you. But, but, but I, 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 you, are, you have it, it, check mark. Um, and I respect the commentary a lot. Uh, and, I, and I've spoken to a lot of people in your space, as you can imagine, over the years. I just really like your, your delivery. So uh, again, we're going to have to do follow-up questions um, to get deeper in this, into stuff. Could I sneak one thing in, Mark? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I'll make it super fast, because um, I know you have an audience here. The Angel Group is really designed to help people who are in the industry who want to participate in the upside that everybody's speculating about around them or that they're helping to create. So I would welcome any of your listeners who have an interest in investing. It's not just about being an accredited investor. There's some other ways to invest in brands um, as well. Uh, I would invite them to reach out to me, find me on LinkedIn. That's what the Angel Group is really about, is about bringing industry people together to share in deal flow and to participate in the upside of the industry. And we've got, you know, we've had, we're investors in Siete and Poppy and Better Booch in Barcode, uh, uh, Goodles. So, you know, we've got some pretty advantaged deal flow here. It's a great network to be a part of.
then that's the way we're going to close that. Uh, Adam's info is right there. Check it out. Uh, we're going to do a part two. I, that's we're going to make that happen. Uh, so thank you. Appreciate having you, man. Uh, be well. All right. You too, Mark.